Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Monday, everybody. Great to have you with us. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Markets Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Serving this valley for decades. They've been finding their customers, their friends, exactly the right insurance for the best price possible. Whether it's auto, home, life, business, maybe they can save you money with bundles. They'll figure out a way to do it. And it's all at Purdy Insurance, the pros, pros. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we are in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Lincoln Kia Hyundai, great pre-owned inventory, great service department. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Heard part one of my conversation on Friday with James Franklin. Now let's get into part two of that conversation with the head football coach of the Nittany Lions. As Penn State continues to go through preseason practice, uh, we've touched on a lot of areas, James, so far. So let's get to the quarterback, Sean Clifford, Will Levis in particular. This is the time they've had to work now with Kirk Shiraka. We talked about command early a week in, a little bit more than a week in. Are you seeing uh, some command from them in terms of how they look at the offense? Yeah, and, and I would say Taquan as well. You know, I think, you know, you look in college football and you look – you also look right now with with COVID. Um, you know, you better be you better you know be doing a great job of of developing depth. And um, you know, Sean, I think is really comfortable right now. I think he's really confident right now. Um, you know, Will Levis is is extremely talented and and getting more and more comfortable in in the system and what he has to do to kind of harness his his power. You know specifically, you know, with his arm strength, and then you know Taquan, you know, early on, I would say was 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 you know still looking and playing like a like a young quarterback, figuring it out. Um, but I really think over the last you know week and a half to two weeks, he's really starting to come on right now. So um, you know, really, really been pleased with those guys. I know they've they've really reacted well to to Kirk's style. And uh, Kirk's, you know, level of attention to detail, and, um, and you know, I, I'm excited to watch watch those guys play, and I'm excited to watch them compete. We'll, you know, we'll practice today, and then we'll obviously go into the stadium as well. We've been going into the stadium on Saturdays. I think that's important, um, and you know, let those guys let those guys battle in there as well. This uh, football team has a lot of great stories on it, and some of them will be under the radar. Uh, So I want to ask you about what it has taken for Nick Tarburton to get himself back. Yeah, that's that's been huge for us. We've always been huge Nick Tarburton fans since we recruited recruited him out of Penridge High School, and um, had some had some health issues. You know that we had to work through, and it was one of those deals where you know it wasn't it wasn't going to be a couple weeks type deal. It was 
you know, finding finding the right situation for him, finding the right doctors for him, uh, really getting the understanding of what what he had to do for his body. Um, you know, not only from a rehab but a prehab, you know, standpoint, and having him back uh, healthy right now, and you know, he's going to be a guy that I think is going to have an impact for us this year, and and not only from a from a pr- production standpoint on the field. You know, but also from a leadership standpoint, he's a he's a tough tough guy. He is a uh, blue collar guy, and uh, you know I think I think he brings an element to that position group. Um, you know that it, that is needed. You know, complementary pieces. I was asked uh, back in August to help work on a script, and the script I helped work on was uh, how you want to utilize the number zero, and you finally released that on Wednesday as to how you want to utilize zero. It's going to be on special teams. How important was it to you that it signified something because you've established some of traditions here at Penn State that you've helped establish. How important is this uh, establishing this tradition with how you want to utilize zero? Well, the good thing is that we didn't have to establish a whole lot of, of traditions here because we're, we're entrenched <laughs> in so many deep and meaningful you know, traditions here at Penn State. You know, uh, you know, a couple little subtle tweaks like how we enter the stadium, you know, having a chance to interact with the crowd and ha- having a chance to interact with our players' parents, I think has, has been really important. You know, and then, you know, obviously when the NCAA – um, you know, opened up the the use and the ability to have number zero. Now, and now everybody, you know, it became you know on social media. It became players sending me messages why they should have it, this and that. You know, and we just said, you know, here's an opportunity. You know, we're huge believers um, in the impact of special teams, and and everybody says that, but but a lot of programs give special teams lip service and. I think we've went out and hired, you know, Joe Lord as I, I think the best special teams coordinator in the country. I've just been so impressed with him. Not about, not just about his schemes and what we do, but just the cultural um, aspect of getting everybody to buy in to the impact of special teams. I think Dan Chasina, you know, making the NFL this year essentially as a special teams player almost predominantly a special teams player uh, I think is going to allow us to continue to kind of reinforce that message to our to our team um, so being able to use zero to build on that and one of the things that's cool that didn't necessarily come out in the video that we released is this is going to be something which whoever wears zero this year when that person graduates they're actually going to hand the number down to the next player in the program that has earned the right to wear that, and they'll continue to pass the number down. And we think that's going to be very meaningful and significant as well. You know that the person that earned the right is going to is going to work with this co- coaching staff and and choose the next person and be able to hand that down from one player to the next, which I think is going to be really cool. Yeah, that is going to be really cool. Uh, on defense, uh, I know I mentioned Nick. What has it meant getting a guy by, back like Tariq Castro-Fields? What can he do for you over there? But also, what can he do for, for the, some of the younger players that are playing corner as well? Yeah, we feel really good about that group, and, and Tariq leads the group. He really does. Um, you know, he's, been a, he's been a tremendous player, but he's also been a tremendous leader. He's a culture driver in our program. 
I think Tariq's going to have a huge year. You know, one of the things that, that we've worked very hard with all of the defensive backs is, you know, those guys understanding and buying into getting on the jugs machine and catching as many balls as possible because at the end of the day, you know, defending the pass and, and pass breakups are great, but, you know, the guys that are most impactful and the guys that, you know, have an opportunity, you know, to, to really change, you know, our season here at Penn State, but also change the trajectory of their of their careers um, at the next level are guys that, that can that can you know, create interceptions and get their hands on the ball and, and even score on defense. And Tariq has the ability to do that. We've really been emphasizing that. So um, I think that's the next step for our defense is, you know, not only to challenge more routes, but also have the confidence to go make the play and, and actually intercept the ball. Uh, finally, you're trying to do a, a camp while school and classes are going on, so that's different. I think you mentioned earlier that you know there been, you've seen some pluses so far. Anything really different for you? Because I know routine's important, but anything different because they are in class right now? Well, I, I would say it's it's actually the thing that's that's challenging is we're still meeting remotely. So it makes for a little bit longer day because we're all meeting, you know, the players are all meeting from home. And then typically we would just transition from our meetings right out to the practice field, and that's 15 minutes. And now we're really kind of factoring in about an hour to give everybody time to transition to Penn State, to park, you know, and then to be able to come in and get tape. And obviously we got, we got a bunch of guys that live on campus, but we also have a number of guys who live off campus. So it just makes for a little bit of a of a longer day and a longer process. So that will be nice when we get back to our, our normal in person meetings. It will just it will save an hour, you know, of everybody's day, uh, which which the way we work and, and the way we operate, you know, that that efficiency is is really important because we already put in long days, you know, as as a as a program. James, appreciate it very much. Appreciate you. Have a great day, guys. Appreciate it. The head football coach of the Nittany Lions, James Franklin, back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applications applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. 
All right. Uh, well, you have to be in a better mood after the Eagles defied all the odds. <laughs> uh, well, I am. Uh, it's it's kind of, it's a weird feeling. I mean, I'm happy they won, of course. I'm happy they're in first place, but it's weird to think they're in first place considering the start. Well, see, that tie, which you were so critical of, is now the difference maker. It somehow is, yes. <laughs> Just... This division, I tweeted this out, this division continues to amaze me more and more. Yeah. Well. Okay. The uh, Scott Lobber will be back with us. Uh, Reese Hoskins is going to have Tommy John surgery. How about that? Yeah, that just came down. He's going to be out four to six months, it looks like. Yeah, how about that? And Matt Klintak resigned, out, gone. John Middleton is going to stay. Andy McPhail stays as team president. So we'll talk to him about that and a few other things. But, yeah, the Eagles won. How about that? That opposite that game last night, opposite that game last night was the uh, NBA Finals game. And the uh, Jimmy Butler was phenomenal last night. Phenomenal. 40 points, 12 rebounds, 13 assists. Wow. Uh, great performance. And yet what people are focusing on, and by the way, it is it is a focus because um, is LeBron James leaving with 10 seconds to go and just going to the locker room? I'm going to give you a series of examples here of why he is wrong, wrong here. And it's only 10 seconds. So you can't have your life defined by 10 seconds. You can't do that. Right? But let's talk about famous walkouts or maybe ones you didn't know about. For uh, in watching Last Dance, when the Pistons, who were the two time defending NBA champs, finally lost to the Bulls, it has not been forgotten to this day that Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons went to the locker room before the game ended. Isaiah Thomas. As great a player as he was, was not the most popular guy among the player circle. You wonder why he did not be on the was not on the Olympic team in '92. This isn't the primary reason, but it's an example of it. Tennessee women's basketball, three straight years they won the national championship. They're going for a fourth. Shamika Holesclaw is their star of the whole deal, right? They lost in the Sweet 16. The other team is out there celebrating. Tennessee turned, walked off the floor. Um, excuse me. You had to win six games each year to win the national championship, plus you won the first two rounds. In the other 20 games, guess what the other 20 opponents did? 
they waited for you after they lost to congratulate you. You finally lose, and you do 180 of that, and you leave. I was watching that night. I sat there and go, what a Bush League operation this is. All those other times, all those, now you finally know how they feel, and guess what? They, they handled it with grace and poise. You handled it like a spoiled group. I was at the Greater Hartford Open with my brother. Well, he traveled around the course, whatever, and we finally get to 18. And Jeff Maggard is tied for the lead. Now, Maggard's a fine player. Maggard's a good player. Maggard's played on Ryder Cup, the whole thing. But again, this is the bad moment. You remember the bad moment. So we probably got to 18. We're sitting up on the hillside watching, and the last four groups are coming through. We're just going to hang there till the end. And seven of the eight golfers hit the ball in the in the fairway to almost the exact same spot, typical of the PGA Tour. That's why you see all the divots in one spot all the time. They all hit it to the same spot. They're amazing. The only guy that hit it into the fairway bunker on the right-hand side was Jeff Maggard. Maggard then hit out of the bunker, and he put it into the greenside bunker. Eesh. Now he comes out of the greenside bunker and he puts it like 40 feet past the hole. Right? Ends up three putting, he doubles. So he goes from tied to the lead to not winning. Grabs the ball out of the cup, storms off the green, goes up to the scorer's tent, and all of a sudden, as the other guy is getting ready to putt, see, the other guy hadn't finished yet. I, we hear, and I'm going to assume it was the putter because that was the club he left the hole with in his hand. You hear, bang! The putter hitting the aluminum flooring of the scoring tent. And the other guy had to back off his putt. And the putt was to get into a playoff. And he missed the putt and whatever. But it was, you know, I'm talking, it was like a 20, 25 foot putt. So it's not, it wasn't like he had a five footer. But he stormed off. You're like, what kind of boy? I mean, I know you're mad. I got it. We all feel that sense of anger. I mean, sitting in the back corner office right now, the suit is still seething, but that's just over his life. One point seven will do that to you. It's like, yeah. But you see what I'm saying? It's only ten seconds. But for goodness' sakes, stay out there for the ten seconds and then leave. Especially I mean, the when the team gave no effort last night. Well, but I'm saying, but the you're Frank Vogel. You're like, wait a minute. We only have four guys out there. Where's the fifth guy? Uh, and all the all the Heat are going to do is just throw the ball in, touch the ball, let the seconds run off, and end it. It's over. I got it. But as Jeff Van Gundy said, that's a bad look. Well, guess what? LeBron James, through good work, great play, has been the face of this league for more than a decade and a half. You can't do that. You can't. I mean, I just rattled off three examples off the top of my head because they all stuck with me. 
Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Gear, which is 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. All right, we'll get into uh, some other topics in a little bit. Penn State football with Mark Wogenrich, uh, Matt Leon on the Eagles. Let's go to the other side with the Phillies. Scott Lauber, Philadelphia Inquirer, joins us. Scott, welcome back. First of all, I hope uh, the book has gone well. It's great to have you with us. Hey Steve, how are you? Thanks for uh, for asking. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I hope it's going well too. Um, <laughs> out now for a couple of months, and uh, I hope people are enjoying it. I bet they are. Uh, so the Eagles, uh, excuse me, the Phillies have had some interesting news. Let's start with Reese Hoskins. Boy, that's about the last thing you expect is on the non-throwing uh, to have Tommy John. Did, did they say how that came about? Was it a constant pain? Was it what, what happened with him? Well, he got hurt last month. Uh, remember that long series in Miami where they played um, seven games yeah. in five days? He was hurt yeah. on the Saturday night uh, game in that series and, of course, didn't play for the rest of the season. He missed the final three weeks. And they knew that surgery was a possibility. Uh, it was an injury to the, uh, the ulnar collateral ligament in his elbow. And anytime you hear ulnar collateral ligament, UCL, yeah. Uh, you you think of Tommy John surgery. It usually occurs in pitchers where there's a tear of that ligament and the pitcher has to have surgery. It doesn't occur as often in position players. It also was not uh, a particularly um, um, notable event. Uh, he kind of collided a bit with a runner on base. He was playing first base, and uh, his elbow kind of got jarred a little bit, and uh, there was there was damage to that ligament. So. He was told last month that there was a chance that he might need surgery. They were hoping that, um, especially because it's his non-throwing elbow, that uh, rest and rehab would uh, would do the trick. And I suppose the uh, conclusion that they came to was that um, that surgery was the way to go because uh, if he didn't have it, it would put him at risk of of doing damage to something else uh, in his arm if he was trying to compensate uh, when he swung a bat. Um, uh, maybe he would hurt something else. And so I think they figured here it is, October 5th, and they would do this right. and get this done, and it'll be a four- to six-month rehab, and, and if all goes well, he should be ready for the beginning of next season. Again, that's that's what always gets me when I hear about someone in surgery, where the off-season goes for a couple months, and all of a sudden you hear right before camp, well, he's going to need surgery and whatever. You couldn't have done it two months ago? <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, so this is this is obviously something that uh, um, that is smart the way they're going about it. Matt Clintock, uh won't be back. Uh, how do you look at what the organization is right now? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I think that the um, the decision last Saturday uh, raised more questions than it did provide answers. Um, they removed Matt Clentac from the GM from the GM job. Really, other than that, though, everything feels the same because Andy McPhail remains in in position as team president. 
And Matt Klintak's right-hand man, Ned Rice, is taking over as interim GM. He's kind of, um, not to sound disrespectful to Ned or anything like that, but it's kind right. of Matt Klintak-like in that he's sort of the same voice um, from the same front office with a lot of the same views that, that Matt Klintak had. So, um, you know, I think the question has come up now um, a bunch since Saturday, like, what else is going to change? Uh, what else is John Middleton going to do to kind of change uh, a trajectory that he doesn't particularly like? Um, you know, he spent a lot of money the last couple of years and doesn't have a playoff appearance to show for it. And it's unclear. Uh, there are a number of ways they could go. Um, Andy McPhail has one year left on his contract, and it's possible that after one, year, one more year he will retire. So it's possible the Phillies could look at it and say, well, we want to hire not one person but two. We want to hire a new um, sort of director or president of baseball operations and then a general manager under him. That's a model that a lot of other teams have followed over the past few years. It's worked for a lot of teams. You look at the Chicago Cubs. Theo Epstein is the president of baseball operations. Jed Hoyer is the general manager. That's how it goes there. And they could take that, that path um, or... Uh, they could let McPhail and Rice run this thing for a little while and see how it goes. Uh, it's it's not really clear right now how they're going to proceed, and so that's why I say there's a lot more questions that have come up uh, in in just uh, the aftermath of this one move. All right, uh, money. Um, what they lose about what six hundred thousand a game by not having fans? That that number sound right, Scott? For everybody, about six hundred, seven hundred thousand a game they lost. When they played, everybody. Uh, you know, I'm not totally sure about the number yeah. per game number. What I can okay. tell you is that right. John Middleton is projecting. His projection is that they'll lose. Uh, I think he said significantly more than a hundred million dollars this year. Right. So yeah. that, that's over the year. So I think if 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 that's if that's their projection, uh, they have already back in June they cut uh, they cut salaries of all full-time employees who are making 90k or more uh, and now there's uh, they've offered buyout packages and they sweeten the buyout uh, in the hopes that more people will take it so they're going to have some staff reductions either by buyouts or by layoffs and so you would assume if that's going to be the case uh, then they're going to roll back payroll uh, a, a little bit too player payroll is always the largest expenditure that any team has right, and exactly. theirs was theirs was a franchise record this year i mean they for luxury tax purposes, they spent right up to the luxury tax. That was $208 million. So I don't know how far back it'll get rolled back. Um, Middleton sort of said he, he, he doesn't know that right now because he doesn't know what 2021 revenues are going to look like and won't know that until he knows whether they can get fans back in the ballpark. So I think it's safe to assume no matter what, the payroll will not be as high as it was this past year. And that'll make for some interesting decisions. Do they re-sign J.T. Real Muto? Do they re-sign right. D.D. Gregorius? Um, they've got $36 million coming off the books in just Jake Arrieta and David Robertson. Do they reinvest that money in the payroll, or do they consider that their savings and, um, you know, and just sort of subtract that and go from there? So lots of different things can happen here, but um, I think it's, it's probably safe to say that they're not going to spend as much on player payroll as they just did. Isn't everybody, though, in the same position? Every team? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any team is going to uh, 
you know, is going to is going to. Um, I don't think any team's revenues in 2020 are going to be what they were in 2019. So, right. absolutely. Um, and now it's just a matter of um, what those teams feel like they need to do to to uh, uh, to make up for that. Now, if you're if you're a lower payroll team, um, you know your revenues might not be as high as they were a year ago, but maybe you could you could get by with rolling back your payroll to a you know, slightly smaller degree, but. Um, you know, like I said, the Phillies spent more money on payroll than they ever have this year, and we'll have to wait and see how far back uh, they have to roll that back. But no, they're not—they're not alone in this. Uh, right. Teams across baseball are going to are going to have to make some tough decisions. All right, which brings me to the other part. It's interesting how one of the more inexpensive areas, uh, usually on a normal year is your middle relief part. And you and I both know, Scott, you're, you're trying to get lightning in a bottle. Can you get the career years out of two of those guys and it makes such a, such an incredible difference? Is that where you see them going to try and somehow shore up that part of the team and try to do it economically? Well, there's no doubt that the bullpen needs to be overhauled. Um, it, it is amazing how, um, how one area uh, of a team can really sink your season, and that's what happened. Um, you know the uh, the last series of the season against Tampa Bay. I watched those games, covered those games, and I saw two teams on the field. And you know the Reds, uh, the uh, Phillies scored more runs than the Rays did this year. They hit more home runs. Their starting starting pitching ERA was not as good, but close. I mean, in the same vicinity. We're talking right. like, um, you know. Uh, three, uh, like the Rays starters ERA was something like 3.75 or 3.8. The Phillies was a shade. Uh, uh, it was right around four. So it's very similar. Um, really where the major difference was was the bullpen. I mean, the Rays mm-hmm. would run pitcher after pitcher out there, and, you know, the next guy was better than the guy who followed. A lot of them were cast-offs from other teams, guys they picked up off waivers and whatnot. Uh, it was obviously very good scouting and a good process that they used to determine uh, who to pick up. And the other team, the Phillies, had an ERA, bullpen ERA over seven. It was a historically bad bullpen. Every single move they made blew up on them, whether it was a off-season move or an in-season move for someone like Brandon Workman, who was not very good after he came over from the Red Sox. Um, And, you know, it's really amazing how one area was really the major – I mean, there was a 12-game difference in the standings between the Rays and Phillies. And – uh, you know what? Eight or nine of those uh, games could easily be chalked up to the bullpens. Right. So yeah, I'm not no. sure that the bullpen uh, necessarily uh, wins anything for you championship-wise, but it certainly can lose one, and it, it certainly uh, torpedoed the Philly season this year. Yeah, no, I mean, no, no question about that. Um, what do you think? Of, did the, so, you're only. No, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I guess just to answer your question, I think sure the bullpen needs to be overhauled. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're going to have to do that. But there are, there are other needs. Um, you know, if Real Muto goes somewhere else, you right. need a catcher. Uh, if D.D. Gregorius goes somewhere else, you might need a shortstop. Uh, if, you know, center field is an area where they didn't get very much production out of Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley, maybe they need to upgrade there. And those are three, right there, three up-the-middle positions yeah. um, that they're going to have to address. So uh, it goes beyond just, just bullpen if they don't bring back some of the guys they have. It's it's only sixty games, and you're only as good as the hand you're dealt with personnel wise. So, what kind of job do you think in the end Joe Girardi did? Uh, you know, I I think you just hit on it. I mean, I, I think he did. Um, 
you know, he did as good a job as he could with the, with with what he was handed, specifically in the bullpen. Um, you know, the shame of, of a lot of what happened to their bullpen is that they, they brought in Girardi, who was known over the years as being a very good manager of bullpens. Now, uh, granted, he had Mariano Rivera for half his time in New York. He had Dylan Batances and David Robertson, and, and he had some really good relievers uh, in New York over the time. But he was pretty good at uh, managing those bullpens and uh, the uh, the lesser-known guys or the more marginal relievers he seemed to get the most out of. And um, here they were. I, I go back to, to July uh, when they were in training camp in July, and they were about a week away from starting the season. And is talking to Brian Price, the pitching coach, and we were talking about the bullpen and how they were going to fill out a bullpen that was larger than usual this year. I mean, they had 11 pitchers in their bullpen on opening day because of the expanded roster. Normally you have, you know, um, seven or eight. And we were talking about how you'd fill out that bullpen, and he said, well, we're looking to catch lightning in a bottle with a lot of guys right now. And, you know, it struck me at the time as not something you want to hear uh, a week out from the start of the season that you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle or you're trying to get guys to emerge who you didn't think would emerge. Um, it seemed precarious then, and it was absolutely ruinous to their to their season. And I'm not sure you can pin that on Joe Girardi. He didn't acquire those relievers. Um, he, he simply had to use what he had. And so, um, no, I think that that was, that, was, um, that was a difficult position for him to be in. And then also it was 60 games. And I don't know how you evaluate anybody uh, player-wise or, or manager-wise or GM-wise in 60 games. Um, you know, I think normally in a normal year, if you're 28 and 32 after 60 games, um, you know, you're, you're looking at you're looking at your team and you're looking at your roster, but you're also thinking, okay, we still have 100 games to turn this thing around. Um, it's a fairly small sample, uh, 60 games, and that was all they had this year. So, I think player development, play, uh, I should say, player evaluation, not just for the Phillies but every team, is going to be a, a, a challenge this off season. You have to figure out how to make sure that you're not either overrating or underrating what you saw in 60 games. And if that were the case, Dave Martinez of the Washington Nationals in 2019 would have been under incredible scrutiny for 60 games because they would have been under 500 and wouldn't have made the playoffs, and they ended up winning the World Series. So good example there. That's, that's exactly right. And I'm sure, you know, it doesn't make it any less um, – it doesn't make it sting any less that the Nationals did not have a very good year this year, but I'm sure that they're talking about this in their front office as well. Like, if they had – freaked out after 60 games in 2019, um, you know, they, they probably don't win the World Series. They probably make some changes that don't end up working out. And, um, you know, doing what they did, which in, in, in a lot of ways was staying the course, worked out for them. At the same time, you know, you, you got to address why your, your first 60 games were not very good. And so you, you do have to walk that line between, like I said, making too much of or making too little of what you just saw. Don't know really what to make of this, but I'll just throw it in as a last question anyway. Angel Hernandez, who was suing Major League Baseball allegedly for racial discrimination, and it's still in the courts, has been assigned to be a part of the division series umpire and crew for the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, interesting. Uh, that's, I think, all I'll say about it, but I think I figured I'd at least mention it. No, I saw that too, and... Um... It is it is interesting. Um, it is um, 
I don't know enough about the case. I mean, I know that he's filed this case. Uh, I don't know enough about the background of it. Right. Uh, what I do know is that typically umpire assignments for the playoffs are made based on merit. And um, if they feel like Angel Hernandez, based on merit this year, is deserving of calling, uh, of, of, uh, of being part of an umpiring crew in the division series, then I suppose he should be judged just like every other umpire. Um, but beyond that, I, I really can't, I, I don't know enough about it, about his specific case speak to what it what what incidents he's pointing to and and right. um and all of that so you know i'll just say that like you know umpire and crews like i said are put together on merit we'll see we'll see where it goes after the division series you know is he part of a, a, cha- a league championship series crew is he part of a wor- the world series crew is supposed to be the best of the best so um if that's how they determine who umpires games they must have a reason for why they put him on that crew Scott, it's always a pleasure. Great work as always. Always enjoy it. And always great talking with you. You too, Steve. Thanks for having me. You bet. Scott Lobber, Philadelphia Inquirer. Mark Wogenrich, next half hour. Matt Leon, final half hour. Um, Matt's in a better mood today, which is made for a better atmosphere around the show because when the um, when they lose the Eagles. He gets so tense and so uptight. You know, I've got to work around that all the time. It's it's not easy. You know, then I think back to the days when the suit was on. And this is still better. All right, we'll come back. <laughs> I'm flattered. Oh, I can't stand that guy. <laughs> you know, talking to Doug Birdsong. It's been frustrating for him not having to call Bucknell football this oh, fall, but he, yeah, but he's actually found one positive. We'll come back with more in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Here on News Radio 1070 WK, okay. Hi, this is Season from Purdy Insurance. As we continue in the green phase per the governor's order, most of our staff continues to work from home to practice social distancing for the safety of our staff and clients. During this time, we are operating under the guidance of the insurance department. Our office remains available to service our current and new clients by phone by calling 570-286-5855, email, and by appointment. Our after-hours emergency service is also ready to assist our clients with their needs. From the team at Purdy Insurance, stay safe, be well, be kind, and know that we remain dedicated to the highest levels of service to protect what matters most. It's great to have you with us. Bob Gibson, by the way, passed away over the weekend. You know, the old saying is like, well, your pitcher tries to claim his half of the plate. Bob Gibson claimed the entire plate. Awesome competitor, really intelligent. And when the money was on the table, Bob Gibson was at his best. He was 7-2 and two in the World Series with nine complete games. How about that? Nine complete games. Baseball is going to be interesting in the offseason. So will all sports. Uh, there, you know, these record contracts we've been seeing. Hey, look what Garrett Cole got. Look what Bryce Harper got. Look what Manny Machado got. Look what Buki Betts got. Now, Betts was after COVID began. But I don't think you're going to see those contracts. The money's not there. If a business is out there losing $100 million, you're telling me the money's there? 
You know, Chris Bryant's been going through all this rigmarole. Um, about when to get away from the Cubs. That may be the best offer he gets. Yes, Doug uh, Birdsong just texted me, essentially affirming everything I said. And you know, as as, as and you know, Doug's one of the nicest guys on the planet. So he said it in a nice way, but he misses doing the games on Saturday. I said only the games. He said pretty much yeah, the games. I. I mean, what conclusion do you draw from that? He doesn't miss Chick Fil A. <laughs> He's a Wendy's guy.